May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Everyone wants to be first. That's the way the world operates. That's the way the world has always operated. Witness the recall vote in California this past week. Witness the sad and strange Alex Murtaugh saga in South Carolina. Witness the St. Louis Cardinals trying to claim the second wild card spot in the National League. We want to be first. We want to be the top-ranked student, the fastest or strongest athlete, the most skilled musician, the greatest teacher, the best parents in the neighborhood, the most successful salesman, the most quickly promoted soldier, the most admired pastor. And when we are praised, well, when I receive praise, it's often like this. No, no, it's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. But what I'm really doing is more, more, more praise, more affirmation. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts this morning to ponder the word of God that tells us about humbled and humbling and humble, but especially as it impacts our salvation. People God dearly loves. Let's start with Jeremiah, the speaker in today's Old Testament reading. He is given harsh and humbling words to proclaim to his own townspeople. A gentle lamb led to slaughter, schemes devised, a fruit-bearing tree destroyed, being cut off from the land of the living and his name remembered no more. The prophet is speaking about himself. He's speaking about a man who spoke from God, who spoke his word faithfully. But he's not speaking only about himself. Jeremiah's words are not just about God's messenger in 600 B.C., but about a greater prophet who will be God's message in humble flesh and bone who will have scheme after scheme after scheme plotted against him, who will be a lamb led into slaughter at Golgotha, who will be nailed to a tree so that the fruit of forgiveness will be an abundant crop, who will be until the third day cut off from the land of the living in order to defeat death's power, that he might have the name above every name. So do the disciples think of Jeremiah chapter 11 when they hear Jesus speak a passion prediction for the second time? Maybe so. Maybe not. I'm going to give you something to try to remember. It's interesting in the Gospel of Mark, of the three passion predictions, they're in chapters 8, chapters 9, chapters 10. Three predictions, three successive chapters. You can just remember that and file it away. But now I'll remind you how Jesus concluded his first passion prediction right 
after his transfiguration. Mark 9, verse 9 reads, He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Don't tell, Jesus commanded, because you haven't seen or learned the whole story. Today's gospel reading begins in a similar way. Jesus and his disciples have been in Bethsaida on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've been in the villages of Caesarea Philippi quite a bit farther to the north. They've been to a high mountain, perhaps Hermon, up there where his glory was revealed. Soon they'll be back south in Capernaum because they are now passing through the province of Galilee. But Jesus doesn't want anyone to know. Why? Because Jesus has more to teach the disciples. It's important stuff. It has to do with his being humbled. He says, the Son of Man, there it is again. He said it in Mark 9 to earlier. I remind you of that messianic title. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So why does Jesus want to pass through Galilee on the sly? Because he's on a mission. But you're right. He's always been on a mission. That's why Mary and Joseph were both told to give him the name Jesus. Because Matthew 1.21, he will save his people from their sins. That mission is now in sharper focus. When Luke tells the same story in his gospel, he writes, His face was set Toward Jerusalem. Jesus was going where he had to be going so that he could do what he had to be doing. But the 12 disciples have issues. They are like we are, and we are like they are when it comes to greatness and humility. They've been having a discussion on the walk into Capernaum. But Jesus waits to ask them about it until they get into town. So, fellas, what were you talking about on the road after I told you that what was going to happen to me? I know it wasn't you weren't talking about that because you were too confused and too afraid to ask me to clarify. Silence to a man. No eye contact. Just nervous clearing of throats and scuffing of sandals. Why won't they talk? Because they weren't discussing. They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Maybe it was Thaddeus. Maybe it was Matthew who said to the others, so why did Peter, James, and John get to go up the mountain with Jesus? What about the rest of us? Don't we often do the same thing? It's not out on a dusty road with 11 others, but maybe it's inside this comfortable air-conditioned sanctuary. We look around and we think, I confess my sins more fervently than he does. I sing with more enthusiasm than she does. I give more generously as the offering plate goes by than he does. And I volunteer more willingly and more frequently than they all do. Jesus sat down. That's what teachers did back then. He sat down and he said to the twelve, come up close. 
I need to tell you something really important. Pay attention. This is how it is in the kingdom of God. If anyone would be in first place, he has to put himself in last place. He must be the servant of all. And before the disciples can say in delightful unison, oh, we get it now, Jesus illustrates his point. He takes a child. He puts him in the middle of their huddle. Jesus then takes the child in his arms. He hugs him and says, whoever receives a child, often ignored or demeaned or trivialized, whoever receives even one of them in my name, that's the same as receiving me. And if you receive me, you're actually receiving God the Father who sent me. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's what the Apostle James writes to the church in today's epistle. Be a servant. Don't strive for first place. Put yourself at the end of the line, behind everyone else. Receive a child. Be a child, because God must do the exalting. Jesus calls his people to be humble in our dealings with each other, to care for and to value each one, to put ourselves in last place, to be servants, not lords. And Jesus calls his people to be humble in our witness to the world, to value all those for whom Christ died, to listen and to build relationships before we give all the right answers that we think we're supposed to have memorized. To be humble, we need humbling. We need the humbling of God's word of law that speaks to our pride, but not only to our pride, to all of our sins. We need to be humbled by God's word of law that tells us that we are empty-handed beggars. We have nothing to offer to God. As we've been saying in our confession for several weeks, we are miserable sinners, But we're not just miserable sinners, we're poor, miserable sinners. Then we need the good news of which Paul wrote in Philippians 2, that Christ Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But there's more. That rich scripture continues, Therefore God has highly exalted him by his son's resurrection and ascension and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. We who try, who try so often and so hard to exalt ourselves, need to be humble. We need to be brought low by our sins, by our failure, by our guilt. But we are exalted in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to suffer and to die in our place. We are exalted by God's undeserved grace. We are exalted by his never-ending love. We are exalted by his complete forgiveness. We are exalted by his sure and certain promise 
of eternal life. And one more thing. You are that child. That child which Jesus puts in the midst of all of his disciples. You are the child he embraces. For your value is not in what you do. Your value is in whose you are. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.